Welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast, a space for the spiritually curious to explore faith in new and meaningful ways. Open your heart and mind and journey with your host, Luke Bricker, into greater spiritual freedom. So, Marshall, thank you for joining me on the Spiritual Nomad Podcast, and um, thank you for your podcast that has drawn us to this moment in time to be able to have this conversation and uh, really looking forward to this podcast. It's been a couple weeks in the making and so finally able to sit down and chat with you. So thank you so much for carving out a little yeah. bit of time this morning. I think it's so, actually been a, been a couple of months in the making. You know, we, we've been yeah. trying to connect and we haven't been able to. So I'm glad finally we can. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it was like back and forth. And I think one yeah. of my, you said my email went to junk mail. Or, right. That's what happened last time. I, I would have emailed you back a week ago, but you know. It happens. I, I don't know what that is. It's, uh, I don't know, Gmail or something. Just I, a lot of people find my emails in their junk. So I don't know what's yeah. up with that. But <laughs> um, so I found your podcast. And so for the listeners, Marshall does a podcast called The Tao of Christ. And I was just scrolling on Spotify and trying to find something new. I was going like, to go on a jog or something and suggested to me was the Tao of Christ uh, from Spotify. And I was like, this is exactly my sort of uh, flavor right here, you know? So I clicked yeah. on it and immediately uh, just fell in love with your, your cadence and just what you, what you carry and how you articulate. Uh, it's, just wonderful. Um, really enjoy it. And I love your understanding of um, the gospels, how you are been, you've been going through the book of John and really showing the non-dual reality of the life of Jesus. And um, that's just like cool water on a hot day for, for me. And I know for so many people. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit about, like I said, your faith foundation formation. I know a little bit from listening to the podcast, but for those that are going to be new, probably going to ask some simple questions about that. Um, and then also just how that has taken a sort of uh, more non-dual or mystic route as you've gotten older and more wise and all of these things that you're now sharing with us through the podcast. So um, so anyways, not to ramble uh, all day, um, I'm curious, so did you grow up in a Christian faith? Were you exposed to that at a young age? Uh, yes, of course. I, I grew up in the 50s, uh, and back then, everybody went to church. It was just yeah. kind of a standard cultural thing to do. So I grew up in a congregational church in Massachusetts, and the congregational church in Massachusetts is really the heirs of the the Puritans and the mm. original pilgrims and and all of that that became the Congregational Church so that's what I uh, grew up in and um, and I went through the the normal you know things that kids do and uh, young and young teens do although I began to to question things uh, relatively early when I was a young teenager uh, in fact, in my early teens, I was reading a lot of uh, of atheist literature. Really? So, yes, I was reading. Uh, I can't. I can't believe it now that I look back on it. You know, when I'm 13 or 14 or 
I was reading like Camus and I was reading Sartre and I was reading, I mean, I was reading, you know. Where did you find this stuff? Just like, like, I mean, how would you? I I don't know. I have no idea. Of course, there wasn't any any internet. I look back on it now. I don't know how I came across this, but, uh, but I, but I did. And I, and I was, I was reading it and, uh, and, and I even kind of, um, considered myself kind of like an, an existentialist or something like that, even at that y- young age. Wow. Uh, but then I, I went away to, to a prep school actually when I was 15. And at, <clears throat> at that school, there was a, uh, it was a Methodist related school, uh, although it was very loosely related to the Methodist church. And they, but they had a chaplain and they mm-hmm. had a, ch- and everyone was supposed to take two religion courses during their time there in the sophomore year and the senior year. And one was on philosophy of religion mm. and one was on, uh, on ethics. And, uh, and it was not those classes as well as the conversations I would have with the, with the, with the professor that uh, really got me thinking, you know, more and more deeply about such things. Mm. But uh, so I was interested in religious things, even though I really wasn't religious. And even when I, when I went away to college, I st- would still really have considered myself uh, pretty much an atheist, even that, even though I was interested in spiritual things. Or, so I was seeking, you could say. Yeah. And, uh, and when I went to college, it was right when the the death of god movement was was starting it was on the front page of time magazine you know this black cover and red letters god is dead you know? yeah and the professor of the religion 101 had uh, just he was a young man and he had just written a book on the death of god movement so I enrolled in his course when I was a sophomore there. Really? Even though I, was, I wasn't a religion major. I was actually a geology major. I was going to be a scientist. And I, um, and I, read, I got into his course, and that just sparked something in me, this type of spiritual search and, mm. uh, and, and spiritual interest. And I ended up uh, switching my major to a religion major. And uh, so that was what really began my spiritual search through uh, a lot of uh, different aspects of spirituality. I really became fascinated with the religions of the world. Yeah. Uh, and I studied that more than, more than anything else. So I took a lot of religion courses because I was a religion major then, and I and a lot of philosophy courses, uh, including uh, Chinese philosophy, which is how I got interested in the Tao Te Ching, and actually yeah. Chinese language I, I took from the same professor there, which we actually translated uh, parts of the Tao Te Ching. Really? So, yeah. That's fun. As, as, under, as undergraduate. So uh, I was just, I was really interested in that. But, you know, I don't want to make this really long, but I, I was going through some some emotional things and relational things. And, uh, and as a result of all of that, eventually I did have a, um, what they would call then and even now a born again experience. So I really became a, a, an evangelical Christian, a born, born again Christian. Yeah. And where was uh, that? Like, where did you have that experience at? Where I had that in in Massachusetts, I had dropped out of college for a, a while, uh, 
Okay. And I was working in my family business, which was a hardware store in Salem, Mass. And I used to uh, take my lunch breaks uh, when it was warm. I, we used to actually walk up to the Unitarian Church. Okay. Or just have a time of meditation in the Unitarian Church. Or I would go to the Salem Willows, which was on the on the coast, because Salem's on the on the ocean, of course. And I would just sit there and I would meditate and I would I would pray and I would read read the Bible. I had at that time a paperback copy of the of the Good News Bible, Good News for Modern Man, you know. Okay. Is, That's yeah, so, so cool. I used to used to read that. And uh and as a result of all of that, and I had already met was dating uh who was going to become my, my wife, my girlfriend. And she was a, a preacher's kid. Okay. She was, a, she was a Baptist preacher's kid. How did she, as a Baptist preacher's kid, I, I'm sorry to, yeah, to sure. cut off that flow, but how did, when you're talking about meditation or dropping into the Unitarian church yeah, or yeah, translating yeah. the Tao, <laughs> what, what's some of that like? <laughs> was, she, she, uh, was she like freaked out by that? Uh, a bit. You know, a bit. It's 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 definitely out of the uh, out of the the, the norm for for Baptists to be, be doing for that, sure. especially yeah, given right. the time. I mean, even right. today, it's right it's yeah. very odd. Yeah, but she listened to me. I listened to her, uh, and so that's what really got me attracted once again to Christianity and to really take Christianity seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't think I wouldn't I would have if I hadn't. Uh, gotten to know her and her parents. Of course, her father was a Baptist preacher and, uh, in, in Cincinnati, which was in Ohio, which is not too far from where we went to college together. My wife and I were at college. So uh, when I was in Massachusetts at that time, at that crucial time in my life, I started attending a, a Baptist church there. And it was mm-hmm. actually through that Baptist church uh, that I had, I made this commitment, you know, mm-hmm. this evangelical commitment to to christ and was baptized there in 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 a river right at the mouth of the river as it goes into the ocean so it was at a a public beach is what it was basically you know that's cool Uh, yeah it was it was good it was it was good it was a what was that like i mean to make a a evangelical commitment to follow jesus after been because a lot of people not a lot of people i mean that's everybody's so unique and has their own experience. But in my experience and from the people that I've run with, it seems like they exclusively have a sort of Christian or Baptist understanding. And then they go to college or somewhere, or, you know, in this day and age, find YouTube, you know, and they start exploring Eastern religion in some ways. sounds like you had kind of a, almost a a backward, not necessarily fully backwards, but a different approach to that. So what was it like to feel like you were, abandoning something that had an interest to you to commit yourself to this other new experience of evangelicalism? Well, it was, it was a struggle because the group that I became part of after I became a Christian was a conservative group. And so they didn't uh, take kindly to these other religious traditions. So right. I had to struggle with that. And I was, I tried to convince myself that, that the evangelical way was right, uh, even though I knew from experience that these other spiritual traditions uh, had a lot to offer. Mm. So I never really abandoned a broader understanding of spiritual truth, even after committing myself and my life to Christ at that, at that time. 
and then very shortly after I made that commitment, then I had the first of, of three of these non-dual experiences of this uh, mm. unitive awareness of, uh, of union, union with God and with yeah. Christ. And that was, uh, I was still in college at that time. And, uh, I was outside with, with my wife, with my girlfriend who would later become my, my wife a year later or so. And, um, and it was just a, a dissolution of myself as a, as an individual and an awareness of, of God completely as everything that was and everything that is. Yeah. And, uh, I tell people that and people knew me at that time and I tell them that there was no no LSD involved in that experience yeah. <laughs> at all or anything else, you know. Because that's uh, very common to the psychedelic right, experience. Right, right, yeah. right, right. But that's not where I was at the time, you know. Yeah. So uh so this was this was truly a spiritual experience and it and it really hit me to my core. My wife was with me at the time, actually, outside. We were just kind of looking at the stars, you know, in a clear yeah. night. And I just began to shake uh, physically mm. uh, as, well as well as inside. So uh, that, from that time on, that, even though that faded, uh, that became the touchstone, if you will, of my awareness of what who God is. So everything else in Christianity began to be filtered through that. Mm. Even when I would later on kind of try to push that aside and reject that, you know, still it stayed as something very, very deep that I knew yes. was knew was present. And uh, and from then on, I went on to a seminary. I uh, after graduated from college, I went to a Southern Baptist seminary. Yeah. No, but the Southern was, Baptist Seminary, right? The if Southern I remember. Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. That was that was a time uh, when you would never use the word progressive and Southern Baptist together today. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but back then, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary really was progressive as far as Baptists were concerned. Right. It very quickly changed in the early 80s and it. Uh, with the what they call the fundamentalist takeover of the Southern Baptist Convention, and mm. all of my professors were kicked out or resigned before they got kicked out. So it was a very different place after after that. But I did, but I did at uh, that time study the world's world's religions. They had a world religion missions department. I took at all the, the Southern Baptist. Yeah, Southern Baptist. In fact, I took a a doctoral seminar in Islam while while I was there. No so the, way. You know, yeah. So they wouldn't have it there today. You know? Right. Uh, but I have had a friend it, that went there. Oh, you did? A, yeah, yeah. He, and I was telling him about your podcast because he's, you know, exploring Eastern religions now. But he was a graduate from the Southern Baptist Seminary. I, and I moved here from Indianapolis, Indiana. So not far oh, okay. from Louisville. And okay. um, yeah, he, he was like, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm listening to this podcast, The Tao of Christ. And actually he, you know, uh, is an alumni from uh, Southern Baptist. He's like, send me this podcast because there is no way anybody's talking about the Tao from there. But right. apparently it was a different world. Huh? It was, then. it was a different world. It was a very enriching uh, educational and intellectual experience, which mm. is not the case now. And unfortunately, yeah. uh, but anyway, so I went through that and I uh, uh, was going to teach actually, my plan was to go on to a graduate school. In fact, I had, I had, uh, 
was talking to Harvard Divinity School to, to get into a study of world religions. But I ended up not doing that. And I ended up uh, pastoring a church. Basically, we ran out of money. We needed to, we had, we had two yeah. kids, you know, and I couldn't, I couldn't afford to be a student any longer, you know. So uh, I decided, well, I'm going to go pastor a church and then um, maybe I'll come back. I'll go to get a doctorate uh, later on. Uh, but that never happened. I, uh, I ended up getting a doctorate. It was a doctor of ministry degree, which is a practical degree rather than okay. a, an acad academic degree. So it had to do with pastoral ministry. But uh, even my, my dissertation when I was doing my doctor of ministry was about the about the uh, developing the historical and theological identity of a federated church, which most people haven't heard of, mm. but it's a church, it's a duly aligned church with a connected to the two denominations. And mm. my particular church was actually had uh, a lot of people from other denominations besides those two that we had, which were Baptist and Methodist. And uh, we affirmed all of those denominational backgrounds. Yeah. Whether it be uh, Episcopalian or Unitarian, you know, we 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 allowed everyone to to be who they were doctrinally while being part of this part of this community church. Mm, so like it that. was a yeah. So it was a very good experience. So uh, so I was part of part of that church. But um, during that time, I know, like in your podcast, you've talked about. I think it was like you said for like you made a beautiful analogy of like 40 years of you being in more of an evangelical faith tradition and aligning that with, you know, then moving from that into more of a unit of awareness and things. Uh, what was that like to feel like that faithful soldier in your heart through pastoring? Cause you know, as being a pastor myself, it's, it's hard to help walk people through some of this stuff and, be with people through that people are really looking to a pastor to have the answers to tell them what to do tell them how to live the church to be there for them you know um, what was that like when you had experiences but yet you're and you're walking with people through this and feeling the need to have solid evangelical foundation did you feel the need to have that like as you were pastoring people through that time or what, what was that 40 years like for you well, at the beginning, my first church that I had in Illinois, uh, I had I came in with a a more traditional evangelical perspective, and I was there for four years, I guess. And then I moved on to this church in New Hampshire, which I was at for twelve years. It's more open church than I was telling you about this this okay. community church, and and here um, I could I could affirm all these. Uh, questions and doubts that uh, they were going through that that I had gone through in my my own life so it was a very it was a wonderful wonderful time and I did not feel the pressure from hardly anybody because there were always a few but there's hardly anybody to uh to stick to the core traditional you know yeah. way the teachings you know of of, of the church yeah but uh, the, in fact, is is during the later part of my time when I was here for those those twelve years, I um, did a meditation group uh, where we explored all different types of meditation, and 
people still talk about that being as one of the best times in their lives. Those wow. couple of years that, that we did that, we met every week and we explored all types of, of, of meditation. So, so it was, you know, it was a, it was a good time for me, yeah. but, but then something happened to me. I was at that time, uh, working through a spirit, a program for spiritual directors at the Shalem Institute in Washington, D.C. Mm. And as part of that, I did a week-long silent retreat down there in Washington. And while I was there in one of these sessions of meditation is when I had another one of these experiences, just like I had back in 1972. And this was 1992. This is 20 years later. Wow. It's where the 40 years comes in. It's going to be 40 years at all. And, uh, and that one was, was much more overpowering than the first one, mm. where it really was what I experienced to be the death of the ego or the death of the self, uh, and that's and I literally said that I to to the to the leaders of the retreat that I felt like I was dying, not physically mm. dying. Didn't have to go to the hospital, you know. Right, right. I wasn't having a, a a psychotic break or something like that. But but spiritually, I just felt like I no longer existed, and it wouldn't yeah. stop. Like the first experience twenty years before, it just kind of came and went, and you know, an hour or two later, you know, it was back to normal. This would not stop for days and days and days and uh, ended up being weeks. And uh, what was that I, like? Can you talk it, me through some of the details of like the elements of that? There, there weren't any many details <laughs> yeah, other, yeah. other, other than um, void other than, you know, this kind of emptiness, but not, and, uh, and ceasing, to be and the universe ceasing to be really. Mm. Uh, so it was, it is still today. It was, is beyond my words to describe. Yeah. I, I cannot put words around it. And that's why I think the, the leaders of the retreat had such a hard time dealing with me at the, at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and I ended up, ended up leaving early and I came home and I met with my spiritual director then, because to be part of this spiritual direction program, you have to be, under spiritual direction. So I met with my spiritual director here and, and she didn't know what to make of it, make of yeah. it either. And uh, she consulted with her group of spiritual directors you know, in order to get back with me. And, uh, and they, they, they helped some, they did help some uh, as far as visualization to, to deal with this, but it continued and it continued for, for weeks. I don't know. I don't remember how long now, but, uh, but it was well over a couple of months. Yeah. And, uh, and as a result, and I didn't get a whole lot of help from these spiritual leaders that should have known, I think, what was mm -hmm. going on. Because yeah. this is well documented. This is really the dark night of the soul. And this, yes. is, this, is, the, uh, the, this is what we would call today, you know, the, the dissolution of the ego, so, which mm -hmm. does not really exist. It's, it's just an illusion, but we grasp onto it. And when we see through that, then there's nothing there. And so it's well known now, but it wasn't well known then. Mm. And, and as a result, I didn't know what was going on. So I basically retreated back from it. I, be, yeah. I became, this was too scary for me, you know? And so I kind of retreated back into the evangelicalism that I had known long before. Right. 
So right. I became a much more conservative person. I said, where I could have some easy answers, clear, straightforward. You know, the Bible says it. I believe it. Yeah. I'm not going to listen to anything else, you know. Yeah. So that's what I did. I left that church. And I went to a more, con more conservative church. Yeah, where where in in Massachusetts, and then I went to an even more conservative church out in Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, where I could dive into this, and I got immersed in in the new Calvinism. Yes, uh, I that, was in that groove myself. Yeah, yep. that the that the that the Southern that the Southern Baptist Seminary was really into because of the L. Molers that was the pres is the president yeah. of the of the of Southern Seminary. He's one of the leaders of this. So this new new Cal, new Calvinism. So I just immersed myself in this with this kind of doctrinal certainty, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and it worked for a while. Uh, I was there for eleven and a half years, and it worked for that time. And the church thrived during that time. You know, it really grew, and people were coming, and uh, and it was it was great as far as the numbers were concerned. But but things were going on with, with, with me too. Yeah. And um, I ended up taking a uh, sabbatical uh, after I'd been there 10 years or so. And, and when I came back, I had found out that the, the previous pastor, who was the pastor emeritus who had been there for 30 years, had taken it into his mind to get me kicked out of the church. Oh, yeah, so he was passing around petitions and uh, and trying to stir up the opposition to get me voted out of the church. No, so I came back to this, and it was came back to this this uh, terrible uh, church uh, division and uh, mm. conflict and everything like this, which really did a number on me emotionally. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, and I I ended up resigning, and then then the church said no, stay. So I stayed for a little bit longer than I. Re resigned again and I got out of it. I needed just to get away from religion completely, you know? Yeah. And uh, for a year and a half, I, I intentionally, I had the financial resources to be able to take a year off without having to be a pastor or anything. So I, I said, okay, for this one year, I'm just going to explore. I'm going to look at everything, look at the very foundations of my faith and of reality. And I'm going to, to use the word that you used before, deconstruct, you know, my whole worldview, yeah, which is yeah. what I did. And I did that mostly through reading the new atheists, mm. the, the, all the, the new atheist movement, because they were the ones that who were at the time. And uh, this was in 2009, 10. Uh, they were the ones who were doing this most uh, visibly in the culture. Mm -hmm. So I read everything I could, and they were very, very helpful. I ended up writing a book later, which is my biggest book I ever wrote, entitled Thank God for Atheists, because, <laughs> because they showed me, you know, the, that, God, that the God that most theists believe in is not real. Yeah. And the God that I had believed in as an evangelical Christian was not real. Right. That I had dedicated my life to someone that what that was not you know yeah. so i was exploring that more and more and more and uh, so i ended up doing that deconstructing my whole christian faith 
for that year and a half for that year and then it ended up being a year and a half because I decided you know I, I was still spiritually interested in things I was still reading some things in fact then I started listening to some to some podcasts by some some Zen teachers at, mm. at, at that time so I started to get back dip my toes back into spirituality because I knew from my previous experiences that that the spiritual realm was real it's just that this 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 theistic construction was not real right so i was trying to get back to what i knew was real without yes. without, without this this the image the image the that super, we like to cling to yes right, right so i I ended up after a year um, trying to find a new church and this church that I had pastored before in New Hampshire opened up again. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and they were, they called me and asked if I was interested in coming back. And I said, sure, I'll be interested in that. So I met with them and talked about it and they called me back. So I was, wow. uh, so that was in 20, 2011 that I came back here. And uh, and at that and my sermons at that time were still part of this whole deconstruction process. I would be preaching sermons on, uh, "Is God real? You know, yeah. who who is who is Jesus? Is Jesus the only way? You know." So yeah. my pray preaching was all questions. It wasn't yeah. answers. It was all questions. Yeah. And people were saying, "This is great," because they had these questions that they weren't able to to ask. Yeah, because churches tend to give answers rather than ask questions. Absolutely. And, and I was saying, spirituality really is about asking the right questions. It's not about giving the right answers. So I was preaching questions. That's, that's what I was doing. Yeah. And then in 2012, um, I can remember the date. I won't say what the date is, but I can remember the date because it was my my wife's birthday. And. I, I had a third experience. So that's that 40 year period from the, from the very first one. Uh, I had shortly before then, actually on that day, I had been told by a primary care physician that I had pancreatic cancer and that I would not have long to live. Mm. So this, this doctor said, you better get your friends at church together to pray for you. So uh, that was on my wife's birthday, and I had planned a big party for her because it was her 60th birthday. So I had had a band that was going to come, and I had all That's friends fun. come. And we all went to the community center, and here my wife and I were just sitting here, was you know feeling terrible in the midst of what was supposed to be a party. Yeah, you know, and um, it ended up after they did more tests, uh, they after a week. And I got the test back. After a week, they they realized they had misdiagnosed me. I did not have pancreatic cancer. After <laughs> all these these scans and everything of my whole body, um, they ended up being my gallbladder, which is a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, I just took out the gallbladder and I was fine after that. But what that that, that what that did was that for that week. I had to deal with my mortality in a way I never had to deal with it before. Uh, uh, you can deal with it, you know, theoretically, you can deal with it, you know, with the death of people that you know and love, family members and so forth. Mm -hmm. But but when you're dealing with your own non-existence uh, to happen mm. soon, then it is a whole different, different thing. And that gave birth to uh, 
a third experience where I fully accepted this reality that I did not exist really as an ego, as a psyche, or even as a physical person, that mm. there was only God that existed and I was one with this God, which is the reality of the universe, not the theistic God, you know, right. the, yeah. the judge, judgmental father sitting on the throne, but the, but the, the ground of being that yes. Paul Tillich talks about, you know, being itself. Yes. Uh, this being itself, which is the universe, is identical with, with the being that I am. And that took hold at that, on, at that time in 2012. And ever since that time, it's been uh, unfolding for these last eight years since, yeah. since then. So I've been able to, to kind of rest back into it and integrate it more into my normal daily life and to be able to articulate it better, which is why I really started the, the podcast and the, and the YouTube channel. Yeah. Is that it was a way for me to get it out there, to get my ideas out there so that it was a way for me to think it through. Yes. You know, yeah. I can, I can think through things better when I'm writing or when I'm, preaching or when, yes. when I'm developing a, a sermon or, or something. I'm the same way. That's how this yeah. whole project yeah. started. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't even know what I'm thinking. And still I, till I start writing and all of a sudden, this is what I'm thinking. This yeah. is how I can describe it. So yeah. that's what I've been doing. Uh, and this pandemic has been wonderful for me because it's, it's cut me off from all my normal activities. <laughs> and I've been able to devote myself to this, you know, yeah. completely. So I've been doing this, you know, about Christian non-duality, basically, both yeah. the both the uh, the YouTube and the podcast. So I've been doing this, and now I do podcast every three days or so. Uh, so how has so. Um, in this whole unfoldment, and what I love about it, and it's same for for me and for a lot of other people, is experience seems to be the thing that catapults us into new understandings of uh, the true self, you know, into understanding that um and those experience define or i don't know if that's a good word define or, or bring more mystery into the reality of, of our existence you know and i'm curious just how jesus has taken on different shapes and formations for you you know in these more recent years because for a lot of people they they look at their experience and then they look at their doctrine and they're like they don't quite always match up but i don't know doctrine is this we always want to cling to images that's always yeah. our, our natural leaning and so that's why like calvinism to me whenever i was in my early 20s was great because it it had a y equals mx plus b about the divine right. mystery <laughs> you know what i mean right. Right. and it's like cool i can latch myself onto that it was trending you know around you know it, from 2008 was whenever i really got exposed like 2012 is where that started to taper off for me um but it was an image that i could hold to but i grew up in the charismatic church and vineyard churches and it was yeah. very experiential um and so what's amazing to me is as people deconstruct these formative or you know formulaic doctrines many of us who have had experiences begin to see those in more of a real way and those begin to become more of truth it's like the mythos and logos of what is you know is it logic or is it this sort of narrative and these experiences become the narrative that then like is the lens that we see our life through 
Um, and for me, it was like, well, if I'm going to reform faith in some way based on my experience and the knowledge of my unitive awareness, um, and I still want to, for me, it was, I still wanted to felt called, if you will, or drawn to the Christian faith. Um, I had to begin to see what was the experience of Jesus. What was the experiences that he lived through? And if I'm going to follow that, what, how does Jesus then incorporate into my experience that transcends doctrines and dogmas and, and all of these things? Um, and so I'm curious for you how Jesus has evolved with you, what, what Jesus means to you in this time. And for a lot of our listeners, they're trying to figure out what do they do with their, their Christian upbringing and, and how to sort through that and if it has a place or not. The Spiritual Nomad Podcast is a ministry of Current Collective Church, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to holding space to experience the divine in healing and transformative ways that enable us to live into the fullness of a truly abundant life. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider a tax-deductible donation to support our ongoing effort to reimagine spiritual community. Visit thespiritualnomad.org slash give to contribute today. Thank you for your support and partnership. Yes, my understanding of Christ has changed uh, from just uh, from the individual man to the to the cosmic Christ, if you will, which is right there in the scripture as far as yeah. the, the, the logos, you know, the, the, the universal Christ. And my understanding is that this universal Christ is the inspiration behind all spirituality and not just, not just Christianity. But another aspect you haven't mentioned, which has become very important to me, is the whole idea of relationship. Because for evangelicals, it's all about, it's not religion, it's a relationship. Yeah, right? totally. It's all about having a relationship with Jesus Christ or a relationship with God. And uh, for me now, it's not about religion or about relationship. It is about identity. Mm, it, is about, yeah. it is about who I am in Christ yeah. or as one with Christ. Yes. And the rela- relationship itself has to be dualistic because it has to be two to be a relationship, mm. you know. But in, in non-duality, there is not two. So you yeah. don't have a relationship. You have an identity. Mm. So when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, he's talking about something that transcends a relationship between Father and Son. He's talking about a, a unity. He's talking about unitive awareness. Yes. So that, that is the major shift, I think, that I have found in, in my life that that shift from religion to relationship to I, identity mm. uh, with 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 Christ so so now I don't I look at Christ I don't try to think about Christ so much as I try to I know this is gonna sound offensive to people be Christ you know no, yeah absolutely be be in me I mean and and me be in Christ and there's a lot of biblical you know places you can look for that too absolutely the father is in me and i am in the father jesus says and i think that we can have that same i think jesus is a model for us 
for how to be. Yeah. Uh, he isn't just our savior, but he is he we are to become one in him, one with him. And uh, uh, Christians tend to not want to get too deeply into this non-dualistic language, but that's where I tend to go simply yeah. based on my own awareness and my own experience. I, you talked about experience. I almost hate to even use the word experience because what I am talking about really is something uh, which experiences happen within. It's, uh, so it's not an experience so much it is, it is a, a uh, I use the word awareness, but even that's not very good. It's something, it's a, it's a substratum beneath yeah. that upholds in, in which all experiences happen. Yeah, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I'm, and that, that is where we are one with God and one with Christ. Right. And, that, and it that informs has, a sort of state of being, if you will, right. at least in this incarnation. Yes. That, and, and that's because you're right. I mean, experience sounds kind of like, uh, and it does happen sometimes as events, but it's yes. really more of an invitation into a state of being, right. of living and moving, having your being. And right. I always bring up about Paul, I had a being attracted to the Calvinistic movement. I had a really hard time getting over Paul because, you know, reformed folks, they, right. they, they say they worship Jesus, but it's really all about Paul. And I had a really hard time approaching that. And um, I, I still do in, in many regards, but Christ in me he says the mystery hidden throughout the ages is Christ in me, the hope, hope of glory. Of glory. Right. And it's like, so this is the mystery revealed is the reality that I am a incarnation of Christ myself. Right. And right. It, how aware am I to that reality? And to me, like that is quote reconstruction in, in a way, because now yes. it transcends all of the, the theological gymnastics that we have to do. It, it really, that takes a peripheral view to, the state of conscious awareness that we live in, in a very meaningful, intentional way, as far as incarnation goes, uh, just as Jesus did. Because of that unitive awareness, he was enabled and empowered by the spirit, if you will, to, to yes. live that sort of life. Um, and so I think for me, reconstruction has, has held that. And for so many that are listening to this, I, I feel like that our talking about this is just greater invitation to to their thing and to also not for me and i'm curious for you too like when you begin to read some of the zen and you start to look into more of the eastern religions um some folks that i know including myself we want to just attach and cling to some other form and i, I remember having to come to the conclusion of you know i was really attracted like hinduism and then i'm like at the end of the day I can't be a Hindu. You know, I, I don't know it like I know right. this tradition. You know, right. I can do the best I can and interpret the best I can. Um, but we have a tendency to always want to to cling and attach. How did you work through some of that? Did you work through some of that? And as people are trying to reconstruct faith, what would be some words of the wise as to people as they they journey and seek and to be aware of of attachment? I think Christ is incarnated in, in all different cultural and spiritual traditions. And the best way that we can be faithful to that is to incarnate it in our cultural, spiritual tradition. Mm. So we are, you know, uh, Americans. And, and even though 
America is not a, a Christian nation. Still, it is a dominant, Christianity is the dominant uh, religion of, of America. And if we have had been part of Christianity for much of our life, that is the way we think, that's the way we speak, that's the, that's the language that we use. And uh, I see no reason that we have to abandon that in order to adopt a whole nother cultural language. Mm -hmm. I mean, I struggle when I read uh, Hindu material, uh, but with all the Indian terms, you know, I know what a lot of them mean, but they don't connect to me at a deep level. Yeah. Like, like words like, like, like son of God or like incarnation or like, you know, or Holy Spirit. I mean, these words connect to me uh, at, a, at, a, at a very deep level and, uh, and the others don't. And uh, you had, it was almost like starting all over again. You say, right. oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be uh, part of the Christian tradition anymore. I'm going to be part of the Hindu uh, Vedanta, Advaita tradition. I'm going to yeah. be part of that. And why do that? It's not necessary. If, if all is one and if all spiritual traditions really are drawing upon the same well, why not stick with the well that you already have and drink deeply of that and yeah. articulate it better? And for me as a, as a pastor and as a preacher, I almost feel a, an obligation to proclaim this good news to those who are in my same tribe, if you will. This yes. Christianity, this Christian movement, because I really think this is what Jesus was proclaiming, and this is what at least some of the New Testament writers are proclaiming. You know, I'm going through the Gospel of John, as you mentioned in my podcast, and I really think that the Apostle John and whoever the final author editor of that Gospel is really knew what this is all about. I yeah. mean, he is, that's the clearest voice, I think, in the whole Bible. Agreed. As far as non-duality is concerned. Now, Apostle Paul had this experience, too. And some of the things he says are right in there. You know, and I quote him a lot in Galatians, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. He knew what this was about. But the whole, there's another part of him that could never let go of the Pharisee. Yes. You know? yes. And he, he, he always was that. And then Pauline Christianity that developed after Paul that we see in the pastoral epistles that I think are, are written by, by another Pauline uh, author. You know, they go even further away. And then after we get beyond the, the, uh, the biblical period, then it just becomes Pauline or this uh, post-Pauline Christianity. You know? So the, the original heart of the message is, has been completely lost. It was tried to tried to recover for a while in the in the second century and even in the early third century with the desert fathers and mothers, you know, in Eastern Orthodoxy in Egypt especially, yeah, and with the with what is often called Gnosticism, mm -hmm. um, but uh, but that was that was squenched, you know, and branded heretical right. by the fourth century, and then then Christianity basically lost it, except for occasional voices in the monastic tradition. Uh, yeah. You know. So what do you, I'm curious, even you bring up like, uh, so Gnosticism has been a fun exploration for me. And uh, what do you, um, do you ever read through some of the Nag Hammadi scriptures and things oh, yes, like that? Yes, yes, I did. I think it's great. I think the Nag Hammadi scrolls are wonderful. The gospel of Thomas in particular, I think is, is, is wonderful. I think it is as, as old, if not older, than the 
than the canonical gospels that we have. Yes. And it is this voice that was not allowed to be, you know. Mm. I think Christianity very early got taken over by by the by Jesus' brother James and by and by Paul. Yeah. And those are the two voices we hear. We don't hear yep. all we don't hear anything about these other apostles. Right. And I think these other apostles knew what this was all about, you yep. know, and their voices were were crushed, you know. Right. Uh, like Thomas. Thomas is, of course, the, traditionally the apostle that went to India. Yes. And uh, in fact, I was just talking to a, a man came to visit me who was who is from that part part of India, who is a who is a Christian who listens to my podcast, and he came came to visit me, and he was telling me about that, which I think is interesting. Really? You know? Yes. So there so there is a a, a Thomas uh, group of of Christians, you know, in in India and in, in the world, and I think they have the authentic gospel too. Yeah. And I think there are echoes of it in the Synoptic Gospels, even though I don't think they were written by the apostles and don't, I don't think they really knew what the core of Jesus message was. Right. Yeah. It was definitely more um, from early on Christianity had very much an agenda that we still see in the spirit of Christianity today. It's a very much dictated by personal agenda, you know, and certainly there was times of, uh, you know, being, you know, uh, burned alive and all sorts of like there's not always been that political connection right uh but there's always been some sort of like um the conversion idea of western greco-roman society like there's all it seems like that just is such a permeating piece of christianity all the way to paul and understanding like he's never really gotten over that Phariseeness, I tell people. Right. And you right. can read it right into the scriptures yes. and the obsession. I just watched a movie actually um, on uh, Amazon Prime or something. It's called Red Bad. And it's about a um, this Swedish um, king essentially. Uh, and they came over, um, the Franks came to overtake their land and to convert everyone to Christianity and, you know, made them renounce, you know, all their pagan gods and and such. Um, And it's interesting that his name, like it says at the end of the movie that he was removed from history because of Christianity's narrative of history, you know, and you see them in the movie, like taking people and they're like screaming and yelling and they're dunking them in the water and holding them under the water, you know, and making them, do you believe that Jesus is the only son of God, you know, using all this very, you know, uh, uh, yes or no sort of dualistic language. And I think that that is a very caricatured, you know, it certainly happened then, but even today we, we kind of do that in certain ways to force people into submission into a yes or no black or white in or out sort of reality. And it's, hard to fault people in some ways because you read the Bible and it's like, well, I mean, it's kind of tied into the fabric of this whole thing. Uh, and I think the Nag Hammadi scriptures help bring a completely new paradigm to, and, and widen the voices. Anytime that we get more people speaking, obviously we get more perspectives and paradigms that give a more bigger story right. and more witnesses. Uh, that's a really long way to say that I, I think the Nag Hammadi scriptures help us get away from this sort of clear defined yes or no in or out language that we we found ourselves in, in this reformed influenced Christianity right. and more into awe and wonder. And even, you know, just 
the stories that you read are you know, like, wow, I, I never even knew that was a, a part of Christian history. Oh, well, you wouldn't know because they, they X'd it all out, you know? <laughs> it's like, Christianity was a very broad movement in the, in the first century and in the second yes. century. And even in the third century, it was just, it was just had so many different voices to it, to use your term and so many different aspects. And it, and it was too big. And I think, you know, historically, Constantine probably had a lot to do with it. He, mm-hmm. he wanted to have one type of Christianity that he could found his government and his empire on. So he had to have one set of doctrines. So he had to exclude all these others. And so they were right. all, you know, made into heresy and they were all burned or they were hidden fortunately, in the desert in, in Egypt, so we could find them as the Nagamati scrolls, you know. So we suddenly realize that, uh, that there are a lot of different ways of interpreting Christ, a lot of different gospels, and these ones that made it into a Bible just happened to be the winners. They were yep. the ones that the, the people in authority said, this is the right one, all the rest are not right. Yeah, uh, so, the heavily uh, edited winners in some case right, too, you know? <laughs> right, 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 exactly, yeah. And the thing is that, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, this is happening again now in our culture now. I think this whole idea, I think this, the religious right and, uh, and it's, it's coupling with politics uh, is, is a new uh, theocracy that is trying to do the same type of thing. You know, yeah, it's, trying yeah. to, it's, it's, it's real danger to religious liberty, even though they tend to be the ones that talk about religious liberty. Uh, they are the danger, I think, mm. to, to religious liberty. It's the way I, I understand it. As a Baptist, Baptists have always been champions of religious liberty because we were the ones that were persecuted all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Roger Williams, you know, he got kicked out of Massachusetts by, by the Puritans mm. because he didn't abide by their Calvinistic doctrine, you know? Right, right. And so he, well, he founded a place where anybody, you know, Rhode Island, where anybody could believe what they wanted to. And the Baptists have always valued that. And now I, I hear and I read Baptists who are going against this religious liberty. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they, they want to become the new Puritans, yeah. you know, that, that will say who's in and who's out. Yes. And it's, it's, it's scary, really. Um, yeah, it is. And I think it it's, it's gives way for something new to emerge. And that's what I think that a lot of the people who are exploring this, people like you and your podcast are giving way to a new religious liberty. And it may not be exactly through, you know, traditions that we've seen as like Baptists or whatever, but there is something new that's emerging. And I was doing a podcast with someone and they said, you know, it, it might even need a new name or something. I don't know if we really need to name it. I'm not really as interested. Yeah. And, and that as I am about the essence and the heart of what is bringing freedom. I mean, in to once again, to quote Paul for freedom, Christ has set you free. So if you have the living Christ within, there is a sense of freedom and uh, liberty that comes in that. And so that's my only hope is to empower people to grow into some sense of, of liberty. And um, if it has a definition or if it has a new movement or it has this or that, so be it. But in my experience, it's going to always end up somebody's going to be outside of that group. So why right. even name it, you know, let it right. be whatever it's going to be. Right. Yeah. And, um, and in that, um, but you're right. I, I think that um, people have become more conservative, more strict. Um, you know, even like I've seen people 
even my dad, for instance, who's a pastor, you know, it, he's become, it seems like more like, well, what do you mean by that? Like I use the word meditation a lot, you know, and he watched a video for our church and he's like, we only said med- meditation twice. People are going to think you're into some Eastern stuff, whatever. And it's like, <laughs> I am, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so it's like people have gotten, and what I think is, um, and I certainly don't want to get too political. I know we have people from all over the spectrum, but when people sense that something's being taken away from them, they grab it tighter. And that happens to us with our ego. As we begin to explore a lot of this, right. we are, and like you said, you went, uh, you turned right back into deep uh, right. conservatism. And I have another friend who she was exploring uh, and evolving and got freaked out to an extent and just made a hard U-turn back into apologetics and things, you know, right. and it can be freaky when you're sensing that you're losing an image of yourself. And I think Christianity at large right now is losing an image of itself. So it's trying to grab onto it, but the tighter you grab, it's like sand in your hands. It's just going to fall out of your fingers that much quickly, more quickly, you know? And so, Yeah. I'm hoping that this new awareness that's developing here will not develop a name or an organization because I agree. for the same reasons that you alluded to, that as soon as you do, then you set up the boundaries uh, and boundaries means there's a, is, is, is a dualism. You yes. Know? So, and I think maybe that's why uh, this, this original gospel did not survive beyond the fourth century is because it was too amorphous. It didn't have a hierarchy. It didn't have power. It didn't have people, you know, you know want wanting to be the top top yeah. guy, the pope. You know, right? Uh, they, they were f- completely uh, fine with everybody, no matter who they were, being the leaders. And a lot of them were were women in these early movements. Yes. These, uh, and but the, the men couldn't handle that, you know, so they had to. <laughs> crush that down and uh so i hope that this does not hope this is more of a of a movement rather than a uh uh, an organization or uh certainly not a set of beliefs you know not even non-dual beliefs because that's a contradiction in itself you can't have non-dual beliefs right you know i mean so so whatever i say about non-duality i have to say you know I could say the opposite at the same time, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, this, cause it's always has to be uh, nuanced by, by it and explained more and more. So, so it's yeah. hard for people to get a hold of basically because you can't get a hold of it with your mind. Right. And you can't even get a hold of it with your emotions. You, you, you can't get a hold of it at all. You have to let go. Yes. And you have to kind of rest into this, who you really are and what yeah. God really is and reality really is. And you just rest in that and then everything's fine. Then you have the peace, you know, that passive understanding. But uh, it's but the paradox. People, yes, it is. Yeah. And the, the, the embracing of paradox, I think, has been monumental. And, and I want to be respectful of your time as we start to close. Um, I think as people begin to reconstruct a faith, you know, I started the deconstruction of my own life around 2015 and uh, started this podcast in 2017 after a kind of a false start church plant that didn't quite pan out for a lot of reasons because I was deep, deep, deep in a deconstruction and you can't start, uh, you know, uh, any sort of community if you yourself don't know who you are and have your identity in all different sorts of, of places. Um, but you, yeah, you can easily find yourself 
misidentifying who you really are with, with these images, with these things. And um, as people go into deconstruction, I think they can, they can sort through some of that. And then reconstruction helps us sort of identify this new way of being that has to include paradox. And, and so I guess ramble for a moment, but paradox is one of the biggest elements, in my opinion, of a reconstructed faith. Yes. Because for so many people who are deconstructed, like a lot of my friends, I can't even walk into a church. How could you even sit through a worship service? Or, you know, I have a friend who I was on staff at a church um, nearby, and he's like, I just, I, I can't even go in. Like, I, I can't do it. And I think there is some sort of uh, security in the liminality that you have to find of the paradox of like, I can be somewhere and hold two truths to be true. And they're in the, in the mystic understanding is I can't cling to either of those truths that it's going to be somewhere that is in this eternal gray, you know? And um, so I love what you've been articulating because it's so much paradox that you have demonstrated by the way that you've lived your life. You've been in the church yet had experiences held on to them yet have gone to more strict belief, but it, it's this, it really is a sort of flow, not necessarily a, a timeline in a way, you know? Um, and so I'm curious if you have any other thoughts, like, so for my ideas, like, man, maybe paradox is the, the thing of embracing, which you can't like train somebody to do. You got to just, it, it happens to you, you know, but I'm curious any like last uh, thoughts or things to help people as they move through that liminal space of deconstruction into a, a functioning that even that's well, neither here. I don't know if that's even the right language for it, but. Well, I would say that I am part of the church now. I, I go to a church regularly, a, a United Methodist church. The, the pastor there tends to be very open to these things. We uh, studied one of my books there, one of, my, one of the study groups, and uh, I preached there. And um, I also preach at the church that I used to pastor once in a while when, I, when, I, when I'm asked to. So, and I still am a church person and I can, I can recite the Apostles' Creed at this yeah. church and I can do that. Of course, my meaning of these terms is very different, you know, yes. than a lot of people who are reading these mean by it. But I, I can read it in a symbolic way and in a mystical way and feel completely at home at it and yeah. don't feel don't feel the tension that that the person you were talking about was that could not even go into the church now i would have a hard time going into a a conservative church that was proclaim, proclaiming you know an exclusivity i would yeah. have a hard time with that but a person who is open-minded i have no problem at all and and they don't tend to have a problem with me i've I preached once in a while at the, at the Unitarian Church near, nearby. It was a, the last time I preached was at a Unitarian Church. Uh, so cool. Which, which is interesting because that really is where my, when I was doing that search back when I was uh, young, you know, and I went into going into the Unitarian Church, that's where it all kind of began. Now I've come <laughs> back, you know, and here I am preaching to these the Unitarians who at first, when I first came and they heard that I was a Baptist minister who had gone to a Southern Baptist seminary, I mean, you know, <laughs> They were, some of them were just, you know, I could see the, the closeness on their, on their faces. Yeah. But as soon as I started to explain where I was coming from, the body language, you know, loosened up, you know, and they could 
they could hear what, what yeah. I was saying. Because I, I preached about Christian non-duality. That's what, that, was a to, that was a topic of my, my, my last sermon there. So uh, oh, I guess I would say that you can be part of a, of a church, uh, of a, even one of a traditional mainline church, as long as the, the leadership there is, is not too, too narrow-minded. As long yeah. as they're open enough to hear some other voices, you can be part of that. Because I think Christian community, and I think the the rituals are very rich in our spiritual lives, and I, yeah. I they they enrich my life. So I would in, encourage that, and yeah. uh, as, as a final word, I guess. Yeah, that's that's so good. And and I was we're church planting now. I mean, obviously it's a it's a different world with coronavirus, but uh, we're focusing on creating spiritual community, reclaiming that. I feel like um, that is something that I've been really inspired to do for a lot of those reasons. I think spiritual community is one of the things that really bring a sense of connectedness and and wholeness. It's an individual and communal experience. I think spirituality through across traditions, cultures has both of those elements included in it to be well-rounded and whole. Yes. Um, and so it's, it's really important. Yeah. Not sure if you had a, a thought on that, but or, I don't know. I thought I heard. Yes. I mean, this, is, this can't be just a, an individualized spirituality. We can't be, be these, these solitary yogis going off into the desert or into the, you know, into the mountains to meditate right. and be, become enlightened. You know, at least in the Christian tradition, there is a the strong communal sense. And that's true in, in all traditions. It's true in the Buddhist tradition with the, the Sangha. It's true yeah. in the Hindu with the ashram. So it's, it's true. It's a human, human aspect that we have to, this has to be incarnated, not only in our individual lives, but in the community, because that's where we can get challenged. And that's where we can, we can learn from, from other people. Otherwise, the ego starts to take over and deceive us and we can go all sorts of strange places, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so community, spiritual community is really essential, I think. Yeah. So good. So good. So listeners, if you're hearing that and you are someone who is struggling to find a space for spiritual community, certainly reach out. We can see if we can help. Um, and then just an encouragement that uh, truth is found in, in many places and still there is truth in, in the churches, you know, right. Um, right. and there's still beauty there. There's still awe and wonder to be found. And I've even myself, like, I, I don't feel a need to start a new denomination. I just, I keep, I'm still ordained with the vineyard churches, you know, as, until they listen to my podcast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm like, why, why would I need to go anywhere else? I'll just, keep doing with what I'm doing here as long as they'll have me. And luckily that it's a movement, not a denomination. So I hopefully be able to hang out with them for a little while longer. Um, they have an emphasis on the presence of God, which to me is like the, the, the essence of what I care about anyway. So yes. luckily it's, it's more focused on experience or essence and presence than doctrine. So hopefully they'll have me. Um, but yeah, so friends listening, if you, want to uh, talk, have a place to explore, certainly reach out and um, have pe- myself, um, people that you can talk with and talk about what is triggering me about these churches. What, what is this or that? And, and help uh, find a space because we all need a space to be known and to belong 
and to be cared for. And I think we find healing uh, in the communal experience. So uh, Marshall, thank you so much for sharing your story and talking through um, all of the beautiful topics that we've covered today. And thank you so much for the Tao of Christ and uh, friends subscribe. Is there, so people, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to listen, watch on YouTube, what, where's the best way for them to, to find all of your info? Uh, my blog is at marshalldavis.us. Uh, you can find the podcast at the Tao of Christ.com. Um, Christian non-duality. I mean, dot net is my YouTube channel. So that's it. Basically. If you, if you go there, you'll find other, other links. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the spiritual nomad podcast. As always, we would love for you to subscribe, leave a review and share this channel with a friend. If you would like to financially support the Spiritual Nomad Project, visit thespiritualnomad.org slash give. To contact Luke, you can email him directly, luke at thespiritualnomad.org, or send a direct message on Instagram. Until next time, grace, peace, and love.